We are, of course, going through our core beliefs. And uh, the first two were God is a good father. The second one was Jesus Christ is both Savior and Lord. If you want to see our full theological statement, you can go online and, and do that. Uh, these are some truths that have shaped us over the years, what we're going through now. And, uh, of course, talking about God the Father the first week, Jesus the second week. It's only fitting that we do the Holy Spirit in week three. Here is our, here is our, our belief about the Holy Spirit. Well, we believe many, He does many things, and we'll talk about that this morning. But the thing we want to hold on to is in this house we believe the Holy Spirit is active. Let me try that again. <clears throat> we believe the Holy Spirit is active. Oh, wow, I didn't know. Wow, I wasn't thinking you guys were going to cheer that. That was fun. Okay. Uh, we, uh, I don't know about you, but I have sometimes thought of the Holy Spirit as not quite as much God as Jesus and the Father, you know. I almost thought of him as like, he's like diet God, you know. He's, he's mostly God. He's not, you know, like... He, he, wasn't actually a theological belief, but that's sort of the way I thought of them. And, and I think it's easy in our context to, to think of the Holy Spirit as more like an energy. It's almost like the force in Star Wars. It's <laughs> a little bit. Like very mysterious, universal, binding all things. He does all kinds of things, some things that we don't even know. You know, we don't get it. Then, you know, you get a little further and you realize, oh, he can also do this. And I, I don't know. This is weird. Like with the movies when they stretch the force and suddenly it doesn't make any sense. Am I right? Am I right? Okay. Uh, uh, but I, I want to tell you this morning, I, he's not diet God. In fact, the Holy Spirit is so, so very important. Here's what Jesus himself said. Jesus, of course, was with his disciples. And here's what he told them in John 16. He said, I um, am going to him who sent me, the Father. And none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled my heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go, the helper, you know, the Holy Spirit, cannot come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. In other words, Jesus is saying, it is better that I go and he come. It's better that we switch places because he's that important. Because they were one. But they're also not the same. This is the, the beautiful mystery of the Trinity. But Jesus says he's so important, it's better for me to switch places with you. He, the Holy Spirit is God. And he works together with Jesus and the Father. He, he leads people to Jesus and, 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 and Jesus brings us to the Father. And the Father welcomes us home. The Holy Spirit is not diet God. He is, he is God. But you know, it's still very easy for us to to pigeonhole the Holy Spirit, to put him in our own little box of our experiences. And for many of us, and maybe this isn't true for you, but for many of us, when we think of him, we think of the weird stuff. You guys ever had weird experiences at meetings? I, I'll tell you, I, I, uh, when I moved to Minnesota, my dad was a, a pastor of a, a charismatic church there. And every year we'd have this evangelist come through and he would do these nightly meetings. We called them revival meetings. And we would come and we would, our youth band would do worship and then we would help facilitate the evening and we were always a part of that. And uh, it was interesting and sometimes it was really, really cool parts of it, but then part of it was not cool. Like sometimes, guys, it was really annoying 
Because he'd have these people that would come and they would, you know, they were just so emotional all the time and they would kind of wreck it for me. <laughs> it was like they would chase any meeting that was at revivals happening here. Oh, I run over here. Oh, I run over here. And, and it's so emotional, but there was, it didn't seem like anything was changing in their lives. It was just constant seeking after the next thrill. So that annoyed me. There were other things that annoyed me too, though. Sometimes the, the man himself would annoy me because... He would say things that were like, oh, like he would say, you know, if somebody gets really blessed by God or maybe even receives a healing or something, and he would say then to the next person, okay, now God did that for him, so now he's under obligation to do it for you too. I'm like, whoa, 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 God is not under obligation to do anything for anybody, okay? Let's just get that much clear. And I still firmly believe that. And that line felt very manipulative, and I'm like, come on. But... The real reason I struggled with these meetings is that I, I was pushed. I mean, no, I mean like physically. Like we would like, <laughs> we'd stand up to, to get prayer, right? And I would go up, go forward to get prayer. I'm like, dude, whatever God's going to do, I want part of it. And so I'm standing there and this guy like comes and, you know, he's praying for me. And I think he's a little bit almost offended that I didn't fall down. Because sometimes you pray, people, people were falling down and... And I'm like, look, I'm open to whatever God gives me, but I'm not going to just fall, you know. And, and so he's, he's praying for me, and, and I'm not falling. So he says, here, just stick your hands up in there. Those are like antennas. So I'm like, okay, go with that. And then I feel this. I'm like, don't you put, I didn't say this to him, but I felt that. Don't push me, bro. Like, come on, don't do that. Don't do, that's the quickest way to make me go a whole lot. Of, now, here's, here's the truth. <coughs> I have given a courtesy fall before. <laughs> I wish that I hadn't done it, but I did it one time. I didn't that time. And, and so I think back on these meetings, and it, that, it left a sour taste in my mouth. It, it made me sort of associate those things of, of like manipulation, really bad theology, and these kinds of things and pushiness, uh, it made me sort of project that on, onto the Holy Spirit. And, and so I had sort of a, I, I was, it made me gun shy, you know, about exploring more of what he might, might have for me. That, that's not really fair. <laughs> because the Holy Spirit does many, 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 many things. And to take a bad experience that I had and say, this is who he is and this is what this means. That is entirely unfair. You want to see all the stuff that scripture says the Holy Spirit does? We're not able to read all these scriptures, but there's a bunch of references. Check this out. What, I'm just going to fly through them. He regenerates us, it says in John 3. He glorifies and testifies of Christ. He leads us. He sanctifies us. He empowers us. He helps us in our weakness. He intercedes for us. He comforts us. He prompts us to speak. He, he fills us. He, he produces fruit. That's one. He, he gives us freedom. He anoints us for ministry. He sets us free from the law of sin and death. He transforms us into the image of Christ. He strengthens our spirits. He gives us joy. And he gives spiritual gifts and manifestations. There's so many things the Holy Spirit does. As Steve said recently, he is the presence of God on earth. He does all of these things. But for many people, when you mention the Holy Spirit, they think of the weird stuff. They think of that last thing, 
gifts and manifestations and sometimes the way that they've been represented are, are sometimes abused, right? But here's why. I mean, let's face it, the Holy Spirit does some weird stuff. Ever read Acts 2? Hey, let's do it. Let's read the beginning here. Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And, and there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them. And, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Spirit was giving them utterance. Now... There were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And, and when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered. Because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. There was a huge international group. And suddenly people were hearing the gospel preached in their own language. And, and they were amazed and said, why are not all of those, why, why? Are not all of those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that each... We each hear them in our own language to which we were born. And they all continued in amazement with great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, they are full of sweet wine. So we have an outpouring of the Holy Spirit here, and we see a lot of craziness. We see weird stuff, tongues of fire, whatever that looked like. Who knows? You see... You know, all these different artist depictions of what that looks like. Like, how do you translate? It's like a tongue. And you put a flame. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what that's supposed to look like, right? Tongues of fire. We see, the, hear the sound of rushing wind. You see people who are strongly affected to the point that they, they appear to be intoxicated. We hear the gift of tongues. Languages being spoken by people who don't know that language. And we see thousands of people who are suddenly and inexplicably spiritually hungry and open. The church was born on that day. That mix of, of amazing and weird. And right after this, the weirdness doesn't dry up. The weirdness intensifies. You see like all kinds of things the Holy Spirit does. You see prophecy and healing and signs and wonders. There's some say signs that make you wonder. You see God move in power. Now, if we were to have a whole, you know, variety of people from different uh, uh, Christian backgrounds in this room, they'd have no problem with anything that we just read and said there. Because everybody knows that when the church began, God moved in power. But I want to suggest to you that that same Holy Spirit is active today in power. And there's many who would disagree with me on that point. Many brothers and sisters, some who I love dearly, who would say, I don't think this is true. And, 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 and uh, I'm, I don't want to at all belittle their perspective. They have theological reasons why they think that. This is a view called cessationism. And cessationism means those things ceased. Okay? Uh, here's, here's the verse, uh, uh, was sort of the origin of this. is uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10. Here's what Paul says. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now, I don't want to get too much in the weeds uh, of this view, and, and uh, uh, there's, there's more to it. Um, but I want to suggest to you that I think this view is, is, is 
wrong. And I, I think this verse actually uh, says, kind of says the opposite. Look what this verse is saying. The verse says uh, uh, things will fall away, right, will, will fail. Like eventually these gifts of the Holy Spirit, like prophecies and, and the uh, gift of tongues, these things will eventually cease, right? That's clear. But look what else it says will cease. Knowledge. Let me ask you, has knowledge ceased in your life? Do you guys still know stuff? I'd like to think most of us do. In other words, that hasn't, that hasn't gone away. So if they're all lumped together, that's just interesting to me. And, and it seems like Paul says here, he, he says, uh, uh, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So when the perfect comes, like when Jesus returns, there's all kinds of things that will pass away, including the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know why? Can you imagine being in eternity with Christ or in the eternal kingdom, and you are walking around with your gift of healing? <laughs> hey, everybody. I'm here. Can I lay hands on anybody? And you're, you're, you are going to be bored. You're going to be like the Maytag repairman in those commercials. Remember that? Some of you guys remember that. This, you're not going to have anything to do. Right? That gift of the Holy Spirit will be useless because there's no need for healing. Is there going to be any need for prophecy when Jesus, is that when you're in the presence of Christ, any need for prophecy? <laughs> no. <laughs> you speak the mysteries of God or speak the words of God when God himself is right there. You see what I'm saying? There's all kinds of things, including the gifts of the Holy Spirit that will no longer be necessary. What, what about all your wisdom? What about all your learnedness? What about all your study? What about all of your theological views? No, because when we're in the presence of Jesus, he'll be able to correct all of those things. It's all going to pass away. Love won't. We'll be able to hold on to that. That's Paul's point. Very few things we, we take along with us. Love and the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Those things that are evidences of the Holy Spirit's uh, uh, presence in our lives. Those will continue. But the gifts, just like our stuff, just like our toys, just like all the things, just like, guys, it's all, it's, it's all going to pass away. So why are the gifts of the Spirit even important? It sounds like I'm making a case that they're not important. No, I'm saying they're important because we're not in eternity yet. And there's a lot of brokenness around us. We need a God who can move in power. We need a Holy Spirit who can heal. You know why? Because there's a lot of sickness and a lot of brokenness. We need a God who can slip past all the, def the intellectual defenses against him and, 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 and reach in and, and, and unlock a heart. Because right now there's still a whole lot of hearts that are locked. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I don't think they've gone away. If you're a cessationist, you have to believe that all the accounts of God doing anything sort of supernaturally or through the Holy Spirit, and there's different ways they break that down, but you have to believe that those things just aren't true, that, that they're all misreported or misunderstood. And guys, I just don't think that's true. I've seen too much and experienced too much myself. So I believe we're in a place that we still need them. So why do so many people gravitate towards that idea that they're no longer active, that the Holy Spirit no longer moves. I want to suggest something. This is not true in every case, but I think it's true for many people. I believe 
that it's not always theology that draws a person to a, uh, a conviction like that. I think sometimes it's, it's our own past experiences. It's our own confusion or maybe our own hurt. Because suppose, suppose you, you're like me and you, you saw some of these things that made you go, come on, man, this is messed up. Or, or suppose you saw people even taking advantage and, and manipulating people and, and saying, thus saith the Lord when God clearly did not thus saith. That happens all the time. In other words, people can get things wrong. People can fake miracles. Those guys, these things do happen. They end up turning people off. And so in the midst of that messiness, it's easier to avoid the mess and trying to discern what's real and what's not or what's healthy and what's not. It's easier to avoid that mess altogether and just say, you know what? I don't think God does that anymore. And it's actually a temptation. You know what else is a temptation? It's a temptation when you believe in miracles and you've been crying out for one and you haven't gotten it. It's very easy in that place. And guys, this is, I've, I've been here <laughs> a lot. It's easier to go, I don't want to let my hopes get dashed again. And so it's easier to just believe that God doesn't do that sort of thing anymore. At least then I can prepare myself for what life actually looks like. So I get it. I get it. But what I want to tell you is that I think it's worth it to push through that fear, to push through our past experiences, to, to not let those things inhibit us from what God wants, you know? To hold us back when he wants to do some things. We do a lot of things, I think, out of safety. But I think safety is a very small prize in the Christian life. He hasn't called us to be safe. Like I said, I can relate to all this. Now, I, I never myself went to cessationism. I, I had seen too much. I knew that he was active. But I did get very gun-shy about the Holy Spirit, you know. I, it's like, yeah, that's good, but don't you dare push me. Like, those kinds of things would still be there, you know. And so I, I joined YWAM and I joined the staff of a, a Bible school down there and, and started doing a lot of study. And, and that's where I, I, I felt more at home and and, and digging deep into what Scripture says about God. And I do think that's the, the, the primary source of where, where God spe he speaks through His Word. He does speak through the Holy Spirit, too, but I sort of was like, I'm comfortable here of God speaking through His Word. That's the, the objective truth of, of who He is. And so I, 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 I did that. I was, I was safe. I was at home there. And then I started reading about moves of God's Spirit and history. And I was like, really? There's so many crazy things here. But I know John Wesley and George Whitfield were brilliant men. And yet look what happened here. Crazy stories. That are like all these crazy miracles. And I'm like, what? How could this? You read about the first great awakening. Thousands of people coming to Jesus on both sides of the Atlantic. And it was just incredible. The second great awakening, inexplicable stories of God touching people and God doing signs and wonders that sound ridiculous. But then you see the fruit and you see the change and you're like, wow, documented stuff. And then you read about Azusa Street, the beginning of the 1900s, good grief, all kinds of craziness. And so many, there, what, were there like messed up things and abuses? Yes, of course. It was a really, really messy situation. But you'll be hard pressed to find any worldwide evangelical movement that doesn't have its roots or at least tie into what happened in Azusa Street. 
youth of the mission included. Not, I, I, just, it's crazy. So many moves of God ha- were, were, were tied to that thing. In other words, God did something, it was messy, and yet it was powerful and it has affected the world since. I kept seeing that. And it was annoying to me. Because <laughs> it would be a whole lot easier if you could like, let's just de-emphasize this, you know. I would listen to my favorite evangelist, Winky Prattney, as he told stories of a woman named Catherine Coleman. You guys ever heard of her? Catherine Coleman was like, she, uh, uh, she would have these huge meetings uh, and people would come to see her uh, uh, and, you know, hear her preach. And she'd have these ministry times and praying and all these people would get healed. Well, Winky was there when he was young, a new convert. And he told what, what it was like at these meetings. And be thousands of people coming in into like an auditorium. And she would be late. And then she would come out in these really frilly dresses. And he said, I swear to you, nobody was there to hear her because she was so annoying. <laughs> he said he, she would float and like, hello. And it was just like, you're hearing like, oh my God, like it's like almost embarrassing. You're like, stop. And then, and then like, so she's going and being really showy. And then all of a sudden she'd go, the Holy Spirit's moving over there. And like, just point. And then like over to where he was, right? And he said, right in front of him, there is this old, elderly couple. And he's sitting here. And all of a sudden she does that. And he goes, he starts scratching his ear. And he, he leans over. And his wife whispers something. And he's like, this guy, this guy, his, his deaf ear was healed right there. Like right there. Like, oh my goodness. And this is happening all over the place. People are experiencing these things. And you know, if, if you're up there and you're already kind of put off by a person and then you see something amazing happen and God do something great through them, you're like, come on, God. Could you not have asked my permission first about who you're going to work through? You know, could you chosen someone who's not so embarrassing, you know? And here's what I've come to think because I've seen this happen too. And here's, here's one thing I think. I think... God doesn't care as much about propriety as I do. I don't think God cares much about embarrassing me. (laughs) I wish he would. I wish that he would get my permission before he does something. God, can you just just check with me? No, that's not the way it works. Remember uh, uh, King? Not King. Yeah. Winky said it even better. He would always say, uh, the, the, the number one truth that I've learned in all my years of study is God is God and I am not. <sighs> I'm not God. So, so many of these things that I'm like, it should be done this way or this way or this way. You know what that is at the end of the day? That's my pride. Ooh. Our priorities are not like his. They're not. They're not. So... I had that in, in mind now, okay, okay, or it's a little, di- okay, I got to be a little bit more open to this. So, so Sarah and I ended up moving to uh, Mendocino, California to a new YWAM base down there. And, and I, I got to be really good friends with the director, Nathan Wagner. He's been here and he's preached before. He's a brilliant guy, one of the smartest guys that I know. And I love sitting and talking to him and picking his brain and having theological conversations. Great, we have such a good time. And, and I realized as I was with him, that they were in this whole season with their ministry of, of embracing the gifts of the Spirit and, and leaning toward the power of God into miracles and exploring these things and just speaking and, and asking the Lord for prophetic words and all of these things. But I'm still gun-shy about. 
And I guess I thought that you had to sort of pick. You had to pick, like, do, I can lean into this, like all the emotional people. <laughs> or I can be a smart, you know, like this whole thing. And what they were doing is they're saying, why do you have to pick between spirit and truth? Jesus said spirit and truth together. So I, I took that as almost permission. It's okay. It's okay if you like to study and if you like to know who God is in Scripture and you like to value those things. It's also okay to lean into the mysteries of the Holy Spirit. It's okay. In fact, it's something we really need to do. But I'll tell you guys, it's scary because I've been pushed before. I don't know if I mentioned that yet. And we had a group come down into our, our ministry center. And there were a group of a bunch of 20-somethings. And they, were, uh, uh, they, they would come and they would do meetings and they would pray for people and they'd pray for miracles. And they were crazy. And they were really, really hyper. And sometimes, you guys, they were annoying. And, and I was like, okay, this is good stuff, but... Uh, we had this meeting, and this guy is, gets us all praying for people. And so I'm sitting with this, this pastor. He's a Baptist pastor. And he was there because he said, man, I've been pastoring for a long time, but I am ready to see God do some miraculous things. I'm just ready for this. Because he hadn't really pursued it before. So he's there, and we're with him. Sweet, wonderful man of God. And his knee, he had a knee problem for years and years. And so he's like, maybe just pray for my knee. So we start praying for his knee. And after a few minutes, he stretches his knee. And I'm like, how's it feel? He's like, well, I'll be. Huh. And he steps outside. And it's dark outside and cold. And he steps out and he's like, huh. And he starts jogging. And I jump out. I'm jogging next to him. You know, it's like the little cartoon thing of the big dog and the little dog. How does it feel? How does it feel, Doug? How does it feel, Doug? That was me. He's like, well, I'll be. Well, I'll be. His knee was healed. And we're like, it's really incredible. And I go back inside and there's, there's a young lady who had been in a car crash years before. And she was okay, but she still had glass that had never, they couldn't, they decided not to take out. It was sort of wedged into her skull. Just a little piece. It wasn't a big deal. She had no adverse effects or anything. But she prayed. She's like, I want to get prayer that the, piece of glass would like go away. <laughs> what a weird prayer, right? Can't be like surgically removed, I guess. She's like, I just, so we're like, okay. We start praying for, you guys, the glass went away. <laughs> yeah. I don't, just like, I was like, wow, it's amazing. But there was still something in me that's like, almost wanted to like, discount it. Or like, oh, why, why God, why would you do that? Why? Because I'm feeling uncomfortable. Like, I can't put this in a box. Like, this is kind of weird. Like, she was fine, you know. So I'm like, Lord, why do you do that? And I wonder if he's up there just kind of shrugging. Like, huh. Like, she was fine. I wonder if he was like, yeah, now she's more fine. Like, you know. <laughs> why, why does God do stuff? I don't know. But he doesn't ask my permission. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, uh, hey, is it okay if I do something? This is a little strange, Jason. Maybe just uh, maybe sign off on. No, he's never going to do that with me. Ever. And he's not going to do that with you either. Because he's God and we're not. And sometimes he's going to do a thing that you can't explain just to bless a person. And you're not going to be able to diagram that out of why he did it and why he didn't do it back here. There's some people that pray and pray for years for a healing and he doesn't answer. And then one day, they've been praying for like 25 years and somebody just walks by and says, hey, just lays a hand on them. And suddenly they're healed. 
Why is that? I don't know. I wish I did. He is a mystery. I wish I did. But you guys, he plays by his own rules. He's God. And I want to tell you, I think, I think that we need to lean into this. I think we need to not be afraid. That same group that was there, there was one guy in particular. He looked a little like MacGyver. Long, flowing, golden hair. And he, he annoyed me, I'm going to be honest. He annoyed me. Because they were doing this thing where they were praying for us. They kind of stand in two lines and they invited us to come and just walk through while they were praying for us. Well, here's what was happening, okay. This guy, instead of just laying hands, he was pretending his fingers were like a taser. He was going, like that. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Lord, you have, you've taken me on a journey here and I've been more open. You hope you can see that. But this guy is going, and I don't like that. I've been pushed before. So I get over there. So I'm walking through, right? And I'm like, okay. Now here's the thing. I had been very weighed down because we had just gotten the diagnosis about my son's heart. Sam was a newborn and, and we knew he was going to need open heart surgery. So I was, had been more, it's the first time I had faced crisis in my life and I was fresh off of this, right? It just happened a couple days before. So I am just wrestling and feeling so heavy. And here's this guy, heeps, and we walk through. And here he is. And I'm like, okay, whatever. He goes, and here's what happened. My whole equilibrium went like that. And I went, whoa, and it kind of flew across the room and landed in some chairs. And I look over and I just feel this peace come over me. And I'm, I'm like shell-shocked. I'm like, oh. And I look over and there's our staff and they're all pointing at me like this. <laughs> they're going, Jason's down, Jason's down. Now Why? Why did God do that? I don't know. <laughs> That's weird, God. Yeah. Like, I wonder if he's up there going, yeah, some things I do are weird. <laughs> like, we're going to do, yeah. yeah, but God, there's a lot of people who fake that. That's true. <laughs> there's a lot of people who push. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So? I wonder if it's as simple as that. So? Any good thing he can do can, 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 can be taken and hijacked by people who are emotional, all of that stuff, right? Any, any good thing that we can do, other people can somehow take advantage and be manipulative. That does not mean you don't receive the gift when he gives it. He is God and I am not. That day he chose to zap me. Never been zapped before. Never been tased before. I was tased that night. I can't explain it. Do I, do I try to write a theology about it? No, except for this. You know, he really is infinite and I'm finite. And I wonder sometimes, I wonder sometimes like, can we expect always when, when the infinite touches the finite for everything to be crazy normal? Like, we're dust, you guys. Like, he's not, you know? What I'm saying is I think that we need to embrace the fact that the Holy Spirit is active, even if it feels weird, even if it looks different. And that doesn't mean we throw caution to the wind. That doesn't mean that anything anyone says goes or any thus saith the Lord isn't checked out. I believe in discerning those things. I believe that's part of what God's called us to do. 
And we are committed to doing that. We don't have an open mic here, if you notice, at Christ Center. Because I, I, I think that can actually descend into a whole lot of stuff we're talking about. But we're very open when the Holy Spirit comes. And it, hey, just so you know, we always have uh, us available. And if somebody thinks you have a word, just come in and talk to us. To, we're all over here. And that's a thing. We want to be open to what God has to say. And we also want to be open to the fact that those can be wrong. We can be wrong. That's why we don't try to diagram this out. In fact, we're wrong a lot. I believe we can hear from God, and I know I've missed God before. But what does that mean? Does that mean I stop asking for his leading? No. Because we need his leading, and I need his leading. Are you with me? I mentioned Pastor John's book. And see, this is one of the reasons, this is a core belief, guys, is that our church was founded on the movement of the Holy Spirit. In fact, in 1975, Pastor John had, had been attending a church and leading a Bible study in a church that was a cessationist church. They did not believe in the movement of the Holy Spirit. But while John was leading that Bible study, he met the Holy Spirit in a powerful and profound way. And they didn't know what to do with him, so they kicked him out. Here's a part of the story of what happened next. During that season... New churches were popping up all around the country. Some of them put the lion's share of emphasis on the Holy Spirit, and many, such as Vineyard Churches, are still thriving today. Other already established churches saw the movement as a good thing, and they stretched and adapted in order to make a place for healing in tongues and prophecy. I wasn't a hippie like many of those were, but I was undoubtedly part of that large movement now. Jesus was behind it, and his spirit was beckoning us all forward. We decided to continue with my class. It would be in the form of a Bible study now. We would sing songs of worship, I would teach, and we would let the Holy Spirit do whatever it is he wanted to do. Of course, we couldn't meet at church ever again, and we decided, uh, we didn't like the idea of doing it on a Sunday morning, so we prayed about it and decided to, uh, decided to host it right on our own property. We didn't have an auditorium or anything like that, but what we did have was a barn. The barn sat next to an open field behind our farmhouse on a back road in Junction City. It was a tall, narrow structure with high rafters, and we filled it with folding metal chairs. Then we brought the lights in. The result didn't look very impressive, but people came. We gathered on Thursday nights and sat inside under the low lights. We prayed hard and sang loud and did our best to ignore the mice running back and forth overhead across the rafters. We disregarded the meager surroundings. All of it was a testimony to the quality of our thirsty hearts. This wasn't about church, it was about the Holy Spirit. Who needed a church building? Certainly not Him. Those were electric nights. I preached with more desperation than ever before. My heart was broken but determined. We all cried out to God together and He was faithful to show up. The Holy Spirit graced us with the love that comes with His presence. And soon it happened. He began pouring out his controversial gifts on all of us. Tongues and healings, words of prophecy. We didn't understand it all, but we could feel ourselves being changed. We went on like this for months. One night a car drove up we didn't recognize and an elderly gentleman got out. He introduced himself as Harry Dingaman and he wanted to join us. Far from being a youthful zealot, Harry was gray-haired with a peaceful face and a slow, serious voice. But he had come to be a part of what was happening. Someone in town, it seemed, had told him that there was some Holy Spirit meeting out in the back country, and he decided to go for a drive to find it. 
The Lord told me, he said, go to the country and where the light is shining is where my spirit will be. I'll always remember that answer. He saw the light. It was only a barn light, and yet it was much more. It was the light of God's spirit, penetrating, blinding. This was the beginning of something grand, and I, I think we could all sense it. God was on the move. Roy Hicks was the first to recognize what was probably obvious to everybody but me. John, he said, you've got a church here. That's our birth story. That's part of who we are. Why do we need the Holy Spirit's power? So many reasons, but I think this is the main one. The world right now has a whole bunch of reasons to be gun-shy about the faith, about God. And some of those mirror my own reasons for being gun-shy about the Holy Spirit back in the day. They've had bad experiences. They've seen manipulation. They've seen disingenuousness. Some of those things are legitimate experiences. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes those arguments are just ginned up. But the, the point is, we can't get into those hearts. See what I'm saying? Like, you, you, we cannot... We cannot unlock a heart so they know their worth. There's not something we can do. That's something only the Holy Spirit can do. The Holy Spirit's the only one that can unlock a heart and draw them to Jesus. Friends, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the active Holy Spirit. And that's why I want to ask you and to urge you to be open to what he wants to do. And I think that rather than prizing safety, he's got something better for us. He's got direction. He's got his voice. And he's got power. This world needs a touch from him. You guys believe that? Let's stand together.